This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. Oh, here we are. Show 375. Extraordinary. If you make it a cake... Uh, maybe I'll make a cake only gets to 400. Mind okay. you, since I've never baked a cake in my life, you, maybe you should do the baking and I'll just admire it from a distance. Okay, well, yeah, I bake bread. I've never actually baked cakes either. Let's just buy a couple of cupcakes Let's when it gets to 400. But that is 25 shows away. So what have you got for number 375? Well, we're going green this week. Oh. And we are starting with the news that Amazon is uh, implementing a fleet of e-cargo bikes. In other words, electric bikes that carry cargo uh, mm. on the streets in Hackney to replace their vans. Right. They, um, they look a bit like milk floats, except where the driver sits, there's someone pedalling or pedalling and being assistedly mm. pedalled. Um, and it's part of their move to sort of go greener. They're also installing 30,000 solar panels on their various warehouses around the country mm. this year. Which is uh, quite impressive, isn't it? Yes, I don't quite know how 30,000 compares with the volume of warehouse space well, they've got. They've like obviously got, though, doesn't it? they must have more warehouses than almost anybody else, you would think. They must have certainly bigger ones, yes. Yeah. yes. Electric cars, incidentally, have just passed the half million mark sold in the UK. Oh. Uh, up from back in 2019, only 100,000 have been sold. So people have been snapping them up like. Well, I was going to say hot yes, cakes. because you wonder but, how uh, many cars are normally sold in a year. Yes. Fewer than normal at the moment, because so many car manufacturers can't actually get all the parts they need to sell the things. Well, Hence the extraordinary that, price for second-hand cars. Yeah. No, despite that, they, uh, they've still sold half a million. Only 20% of them are, were Teslas, interestingly. I'd have thought Tesla would have a bigger market share than that, but it seems not. So what do all these cars run on? They run on electricity. Meanwhile, uh, jets run on jet fuel, which is, as you know, sort of nasty, polluting, corrosive stuff that's gradually destroying our planet, but possibly not for much longer, mm-hmm. because uh, Barclay Labs in the US have come up with a form of biofuel that has one and a half times the energy density of jet fuel which means it takes up uh, two-thirds of the space of, of jet fuels. They, mm. they can put that much more in. And What's it made of, though? Well, it's made from bacteria that are fed with plant matter um, with um, carbon dioxide pulled out of the air. Not just any old bacteria, as you might mm. guess, but polycyclopropanated fatty acid methyl esters, which are made up of seven sets of cyclopropane rings. We probably could have guessed that. Uh, yeah, I was ahead of you, yes. Of course. And they can they can output it in different forms. So long-chain fatty acids would be good for, for rockets, medium-length chains for diesels, and short chains for jet fuel. So there you go. So it could be that uh, biofuels are the way to go. Yes, though, of course, there's this, some worry with biofuels at the moment, of course, the fact that 
land is being used for biofuel and not for food. Yes. Uh, people do need well, to eat in order to be able to do anything with the fuel. So, oh, you can't win, can you? Just no, when they thought they're going green, not. it turns out yes. they're going brown. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay, well, that's all very exciting. That's a, a, one of those watch this space things, presumably, rather than it is very much rather than strapping yourself green. in in the safety belt on a plane next week and realizing it's all very green. However, here is a green initiative that's actually taking place right now mm. in uh, Kankanpa, which, as I'm sure you know, is in Finland. And it is to do with renewable energy. So we can have energy from solar power, mm. from wind power, but how do you store that energy? Yes, that is the big problem. It is yes. the big problem. Well, you could store it in lithium batteries, but of course, lithium is a uh, hard to get hold of uh, resource and it's mm. almost all run by Chinese factories around the world. Yes. So that makes it rather more difficult. But what they're doing in Finland is storing it in a sand battery. How about that? Sand battery, as in sand, sand, beach sand type yes. sand. Yes. Oh, okay. Yep. They have built steel containers, each of which can hold a hundred tons of sand, and they heat up the sand. Mm. And they can heat up the sand up to 600 degrees centigrade, apparently. And they're currently using it in Kankampa uh, to heat a hundred homes and the local swimming pool. And if it works, which well, it seems to be working, they reckon they can scale that up 100 times and then uh, store their energy in there and then suck it out when they need to. We've talked about energy storage quite a few times. I remember one interesting one was the cranes with these giant weights where you use the power to take yes. the weights up to the top and then when you need it, the weights drop. And that was quite an interesting one. But of course, with all these, it's a question of the efficiency of it. I mean, it must take quite a lot of energy to heat sand up to 600 degrees centigrade, you'd have thought. Well, it does, but once you've heated it up, you can then draw that energy back out again mm. with, I suppose, minimal uh, loss of efficiency. I don't quite know what the efficiency is, but it's a very, um, uh, it's a very green, perhaps I should say, yellow and sandy way of yeah, uh, yes. storing energy. And it, well, I think it sounds rather good. It does so. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. Sounds fascinating. Let's have one of these. <laughs> And having had it, we'll move on. But to what so, now? Well, where does all that stored energy come from? A lot of it comes from solar power. But the trouble is that solar cells um, uh, work best in direct sunlight, and they're not that efficient. Well, here's a clever idea from Stanford University, which is rather than covering the solar cells in just some sort of protective glass or... or um, Polythene, mm. they are have an array of inverted pyramid lenses. And the pyramids are kind of shaped like ziggurats. So rather than having smooth sides, they have stepped sides. They are, in fact, each, each pyramid is mm. an array of multiple lenses. And with uh, and the vertical sides are mirrored, so they bounce the light in. Uh, they reckon they can capture. 90% of the light that's coming at them from all directions doesn't have to be directly in, uh, mm. on top. And, and then the pyramids focus those, uh, those light beams uh, to make it three times brighter than it would be if it was just hitting the solar cell by itself. Well, it sounds like another wonderful innovation. And it does sound like another wonderful clever. innovation. Yes. yes. The, 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 uh, the pyramids, I think, are quite difficult to make. So it'll take a while ah. to scale them up. But of course, they will manage to do it eventually. 
Yeah, well, pyramid, pyramids always have been quite difficult to make, but one would imagine you don't necessarily need to enslave an entire people to do it. This um, it's no. trickier on the technical <laughs> side. Yes. Okay. Well, that sounds intriguing. It does, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. These universities are certainly doing pretty good work at the they moment. Are doing, they? they are doing pretty yes. good work. They're in the impressive. future of a better place to go. Right. Well, which is just as well because that's the way we're headed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So what now? Well, um, AR glasses. I mean, AR glasses, augmented reality glasses. People bring them out and then they cancel them and then they bring mm. them out again and they tweak them and then they cancel them because people don't like wearing big, bulky glasses. Right. So how do you have augmented reality without big, bulky glasses? And the answer could be um, augmented reality contact lenses. Oh, good grief. Yes, indeed, good grief. These are from a company called Mojo Vision, and uh, there are photographs of it being tested by their chief executive called uh, Michael Drew Perkins, mm-hmm. which has a micro LED display, just half a millimeter in diameter, which is fixed to an ARM processor and a five gigahertz radio with a micro battery that controls not just the radio, but various accelerometers, gyroscopes and magnetometers that keep the image stable as you're moving around. And it's controlled by your eye movement. Don't expect to see them anytime that soon, but as proof of concept goes, they seem to more or less work. They'll be priced, uh, they say, uh, around the same as a high-end smartphone. So they're not going to be cheap, but they are going to be very weird to look at. Well, I wonder how much you'll actually see if you look into somebody's eye. Intriguing. Well, because um, they are, they, they're an array of electronics and they, they, they fit over your, yeah. uh, your iris and apparently they are thin enough so you can blink over the top of them, although they really don't sound very comfortable. Exactly. Well, no, I don't, I don't like contact lenses at all, but so I don't think I'll be first in the queue for, for that. But you don't wear glasses, so contact lenses I don't know, but I have worn contact lenses in the past. Have you? I used to wear glasses, yes. You used to yes. wear glasses? No, you don't. Have you been lasered? Yes. No, I've been cataract. Oh. So I have new lenses, okay. artificial lenses, on my eyes well, instead. See, if you'd waited a few years, you could have had yes, AR that's true. lenses. I could have had AR lenses. You were early adopters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's very little I adopt early. Um, I think it's probably time for uh, us to take a quick breather. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. Still seems quite squeamish about the idea of putting contact lenses in my eye with lots of um, electronics on it. Yes. It's the idea that you're blinking and you can sort of feel something there. Don't, uh, we? Uh, don't like it at all. And then, of course, scary. you know what happens if you actually do need to correct your eyesight? Because then you'd need corrective contact lenses with all this gubbins on. You probably would, yes. Or you could always wear glasses in front of the contact lenses. Yes. 
you wear, you by mistake, you put on your AA, AR glasses, you'd have two competing AR systems fighting would. it out. Yes. yes. Well, let's move on. I suspect let's that won't on. happen. Yeah. Let's so what now? Out into the universe. Yes. And finding life on other planets. That is the goal of many astro explorers. Mm. What is out there? And the most likely place. Sea to monsters. Find sea monsters. Well, that's It'd what be... navigators always thought, didn't they? They did. Yes. Well, not, yes. Perhaps not well, space monsters, monsters on other planets. Well, possibly. Who knows? Yeah, well. But but you're right in the sense that the most likely place to find life on other planets mm. is in water. Now there isn't a lot of water on other planets, but there are subsurface oceans um, on the giant gas planet moons, so such as uh, Jupiter's Europa or Saturn's moon Enceladus. Mm. The trouble is that both of these uh, these oceans are covered by uh, quite a thick sheet of ice. So NASA has come up with the rather ingenious idea of having a swarm of swimming robots, each of which is about 12 centimetres long, and they will send them 50 at a time, burrowing into the ice and swimming around looking for life. Mm. Yes. Probably find it easy just to order something from Amazon. And send it to Enceladus or, or Europa. Amazon will deliver anywhere these days. They will. <laughs> they certainly will. And they call these things sensing with independent micro-swimmers, which is a rather clumsy title until you realise that it abbreviates to swim. Yeah, they must have been so pleased when they thought of that. They must have been. So, sensing. But I like the idea of these things turning up on uh, finding intelligent life and the intelligent life thinking these are what earthlings are these little robots swimming around maybe aliens have come here and what we assume are aliens are actually just the aliens micro swimming robots well, that's perfectly possible but you now you're talking about searching for intelligent life they're just looking for any life aren't they they're looking for not to be particularly bright they're not looking just you know give it a mensa test no no i think a fish would do yes yes a fish well a fish. Yeah, a yes. fish, maybe a few fish. <laughs> well, I hope I'm around to see what they come back with. When are they sending them, or haven't they decided yet? They haven't decided yet. I think it's very much in the in the planning stage so far. Uh, so but much I is. Would, I would eat a fish from Europa, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, come on. Well, I wouldn't want to be the first person to eat a fish from Europa. No, you probably won't be first in the queue, to be honest. And the chances are they couldn't advertise it as being freshly caught. <laughs> well, yeah, that is a very yeah, good off the boat today, mate. Yes, no, I don't think so, somehow. So, onward. Onward, onward, upwards, in fact, downwards, to Cruise. Cruise is the uh, company in San Francisco um, who uh, make autonomous taxis. Mm -hmm. And they have started a public trial. They put these things on the streets only at night in San Francisco. And um, last week, uh, a bunch of 12, maybe a convoy, a convoy of 12 mm -hmm. of these autonomous taxis all grouped together, went up to a traffic light where they stopped and refused to start. So they stood there holding <laughs> up all the traffic, causing this massive traffic jam. It was two hours before their technicians could get there and sort out the problem. And they still don't know what caused it. Yeah, some mysterious ethereal voice saying, South the River? No, mate, not this time of night. <laughs> Well, that maybe it's a some bizarre. kind of mass protest. I don't know. So are they just driving around? Are they actually being used as taxis? They are being used as taxis, yes. So they weren't full of people then? No, curiously, these ones are all empty. 
And they all went to the same point and then suddenly stopped for reasons that no one seems to understand. Mm. Curious, isn't it? Yeah, very, very bizarre. Imagine, though, if you're stuck behind a group of 12 taxis. You can't remonstrate with the driver. There There are no drivers. Yeah. You'd be pretty spooked by that, wouldn't you? It must be extraordinary. Why on earth would it have taken two hours? San Francisco is not that big a city. Why on earth would it take two hours for the well, technicians to get there? Possibly because there was a big traffic jam caused by all <laughs> well, those things. That is possible. Or the fact they were looking for a cab and couldn't get one because they were all stopped yes. at these traffic lights. Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, I think we haven't had one of these for a while, so let's have this. <laughs> And from driverless taxis to coal-powered motorbikes. What? Yes, indeed. This is a chap called Mark Sanderson, who's a 60-year-old from Carlton in Yorkshire, mm. who has built himself a coal-powered motorbike. And oh, how splendid. Absolutely glorious. It is almost the definition of steampunk, isn't it? It really is, yes, <laughs> yes. it really is. <laughs> yes. And it'll, it'll achieve a, a massive 10 miles an hour. Um, right. Which I wouldn't have thought was fast enough to stay upright. But may- maybe it is, or maybe it has um, trainer wheels. But it looks it looks just wonderful. It doesn't work. You sort of wonder why, except proving he could do it. Is it the first, is it the first coal-powered motorbike? Oh, I'd imagine so. I mean, you the very bizarre thing is that the, the early on in the automotive era, there were electric um, vehicles, but they never really yes. caught on in quite the same way. Yeah. So I wonder if... Other people might have tried coal powering a motorbike, but yeah, yeah. it seems to as you say, ten miles an hour doesn't seem fast enough to do much. How about you do ten miles an hour on your on your bicycle and stay upright? Yeah, I guess so. But if he's in Yorkshire, you would think they're going to be quite a lot of hills. You a would. bike that could do ten miles on the flat might be going it a little might, bit slowly going up a hill. It might struggle with a hill. I think yeah. it's more a proof of concept than anything well, else. But I'm sure he had fun building well, it. Would you want to be riding something that could explode at any moment? I'm not sure I would. Um, I, I, there's no reason why it would necessarily. Well, explode. I mean, you're obviously, you know, incredibly um, uh, uh, happy to take on risk. You're going to eat fish from um, Europa and Saladus. So, yes. so, yeah, why not ride a coal-powered motorbike? Why yeah. not ride a coal-powered motorbike? I don't think I get a chance. But if I were ever in Yorkshire and happened to be near Mark's Hall, I'd ask for a go on it, certainly. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. I think we should move on to our crowdfunding uh, time of the week. In that case, have this. Now, roof racks. Cars have roof racks, and they're very useful when you are carrying a roof box or indeed just lots of long planks or um, what else might you carry? Skis, bicycles, perhaps, that kind of thing. But the trouble with children, if you've got too many to go in the car, children, if you've got too many to go in the car. Don't try this at home, folks. Yes. Um, you can, but the trouble is that they take quite a long time to put on and off because they have to be bolted on and, you know, fiddled about with. And I do up. remember. I do remember. Trenches, in fact, make sure you get the, uh, the tightness right. Until now, thanks to Notix, K-N-O-T-I-X, mm-hmm. rather clumsy name, but I suppose it more or less works, which is a universal roof rack that they reckon will fit just about any car. Mm-hmm. And it is secured onto the car with magnets. Not electromagnets, just regular magnets. Mm. The problem then is, how do you get it onto your car without the magnets immediately jumping down 
and fixed themselves with Yes. The answer is that on one end of the roof rack, there are wheels. So you pick this thing up, you roll it across your roof. When you get it into position, you lower it down with a magnet stick, and then you clamp it, and the clamping lever locks inside your door. So you hook it just under the door rim, close the door, because, of course, car doors have that sort of spongy rubber, don't they, to, mm-hmm. to help them to close, and then it locks it in place, and they reckon that these are quite secure. I think it's quite a clever idea. However, $299 is about 250 quid, give or take. I think it's probably quite a lot for uh, for a pair of roof racks. You say probably, I mean, it really is. It really is quite a lot, isn't it? But then but if people knows? are buying things like Teslas, it's probably small chump change. It probably is chump change, exactly, whatever that might be. Anyway, it's called Notix. It is on Kickstarter now. And if you like the sound of it, you have until the 2nd of August to go and plonk down your pledge of $299. Yes, I probably won't be doing that. I'm glad to say now that children have all mostly fled the nest. I don't even need a roof rack anymore. And as you say, it was a real pain in the neck. I'm not sure this one's necessarily that much easier. Quite possibly not. Right. Okay, so when now? Well, we're back to our um, scientists doing clever things again. Mm. And this one is uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, uh, who have a new way of 3D printing wood. Yes. Yes, I like the way a new way of 3D printing wood. Oh, no, because... Because we have talked about it before. We have, because 3D printers, of course, use uh, generally PLA... um, uh, which is a uh, polylactic acid, which is made from a sugar cane. Um, and um, and so you just it squeezes it out to, to produce standard printing. But this is a different method. This uses plant cells, which are cultured in, uh, in liquid and then added to a gel with, uh, with nutrients to which they add uh, two different kinds of plant hormones. Mm. They then print uh, this gel to the shape they want. They incubate it for three months, during which time it literally grows, just like just like wood. And then they dehydrate it, and you end up with wood that has been grown in the mm. shape that you wanted. Yeah, you say it grows just like wood. Wood tends to grow when it's part of a tree. It doesn't grow on its own. No. Have no. you seen this? the people who make um, who grow their own furniture? No. It's most impressive. They uh, have seen chairs and, and tables, so they have um, young, young saplings, and as they grow, they gradually bend them into the, the shape that, that they want. And they sort of grow and they, and they thicken up, and then you get a, a, a chair that has grown into the shape of a chair. Wonderful. Oh, I might go and look that that up. That sounds incredibly interesting. It Doesn't that not, not count as a gadget or a gizmo? I don't probably think it not. counts as no. either a gadget or a gizmo, okay. which is probably why we haven't mentioned it on this okay. on this programme before, but I just want to throw it in there because it, it's interesting. Okay, super. And uh, finally, let us go with the news that uh, drones are droning on again, and this time they are delivering chemotherapy drugs to the Isle of Wight from Portsmouth. Mm. It was a journey that used to take four hours and will now take 30 minutes. The drones... Four hours to the Isle of Wight from Portsmouth? Well, yes, because I suppose I have to go by boat. Yes, but it's not that 
Long a journey, is it? Well, that's what they reckon. Mm, I suppose, okay, you know, okay. what with... Um, Maybe it's Southampton's the quick journey, is it? Okay. I don't know. But anyway, they, these drones can go up to 70 miles an hour and can carry a payload of nine kilograms, which is quite a lot, actually. Yes, it's quite a lot. You couldn't do that on a coal-powered motorbike. You certainly couldn't. You probably couldn't make it across no. the... whatever that channel is called between, uh, between us and the Isle of Wight. There's probably a name for it. Uh, the Solent? Could no, be. I can't remember. I can't remember. No, no. You, I, sh I shouldn't even try because I'm sure anybody now who does know will no doubt tell us and we'll seem very foolish. But anyway, that seems another wonderful uh, use of technology. Uh, there have been quite a few today. There haven't been very many silly ones. Let's hope we can um, sort that out next week. But that's it from Steve Kaplan and myself, Simon Rose. Uh, we'll have more gadgets and gizmos at the same time next week. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.